Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, right here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden in New York City. It's the 28th anniversary of a really violent event here in New York. And again, right now, there's lots of violent events going on in New York City. Tons going on. They're shooting all over the place. But 28 years ago, there was also violence in the streets, a lot going on. Back then, there was so much crime in the streets, there was a safety patrol group called the Guardian Angels, led by none other than the great Curtis Sliwa. And he got into a little bit of a dust-up with some people, ended up jumping into a cab, and all hell broke loose. But first, I want to get to the facts on this. I was looking at the New York Times, and although we can't always claim that they have their facts straight, they had an account of this. But facts are always important. That's why I get my facts from JustFacts.com. JustFacts.com, F-A-C-T-S, JustFacts.com uses primary source data, and they're the most preeminent think tank outside of Washington, D.C. So check out James Agresti and JustFacts.com. Now, I want to get to Curtis Sliwa, who is our guest today. Curtis Sliwa, welcome to This Is America. Only you, Richie Valdez, you were able to resurrect it like Lazarus from the dead. Has now been relegated... Into the shadows. The one day that I had to my own has now been nationally co-opted from me. Juneteenth, before it became nationally known as to the significance of the day. Back in the 80s, there was a Juneteenth celebration. So I learned it that way. But most Americans, including black people, didn't know what Juneteenth was. But now everybody knows. And it means that the anniversary of the day that I survived the shooting of being shot five times... By the Gaudis and the Gambitos. Because the um, overrun to point spread of the wise guys is he'll never survive this. He's been shot five times. This is impossible. He'll either be paralyzed, veg- vegetableized, or dead. Room temperature. You know, Curtis Lee, you have such a way with words. But let's paint the picture. Well, the hunt is on tonight. Mayor Dinkins is pledging his help to find the gunman who ambushed and shot Curtis Sliwa. The Guardian Angels founder and leader is recovering from surgery at Bellevue Hospital tonight. And McGee Hickey is there now with a live report for us. McGee? Chuck, Curtis Sliwa is still in critical condition at this hour after undergoing more than six hours of surgery to remove five bullets. He's expected to recover fully from his injuries in a shooting that took place this morning at exactly the same place where he'd been attacked by three men with baseball bats two months earlier. Reporting live from Bellevue, McGee Hickey News 4. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, McGee. Where were you on June 19th, 1992? Paint the scene so all the listeners can know, because the good news about this podcast is that we have old and new alike. We've got some old school political observers that love the program, and we have a lot of new people that are like, man, things are going crazy, and I need to keep up with what's going on, so let me hear from the OG himself. Oh, now, what is that? Uh, old gangster? 
Original. Oh, original gangster or a legend in my own mind, as they say. (laughs) Yeah, I'm old school. I'm not a new jack. But I need to flesh this out a little bit before we hit June 19th to 1992. Is that okay, Rich Valdez? Absolutely. That I give a little bit of uh, content so you understand why the Gattis and Gambinos wanted me dead on arrival. Why did they hate your guts, Curtis? Because at that time, think of it, like when OJ was on trial every following morning, every radio commentator would tell you what had happened the day before and give you their opinion OJ, okay, if you were listening to black radio, if you were listening to WABC always broadcasting Caucasian, OJ, (laughs) no good, death penalty, (laughs) off with his head, right? Every day. And they weren't afraid to talk about it. Not at all. But back when John Gotti Sr., the head of organized crime, was on trial for the last time before Sammy the Bull Gravano ate the Parmesan cheese and the (laughs) the Memorex tape so crystal clear with John Gotti Sr.'s voice telling Sammy the Bull, I want this Gabon killed. I want this Yadrul killed. I want this Knuckle Dragger killed. That sealed his fate, triple life without parole, Marion. But in the in-between, it went on for months. And the only radio broadcaster to say anything about this mob trial was yours truly. You asked Howard Stern at the time. Oh, I ain't talking about the mob. My mentor. Bob Giganti, a.k.a. Bob Grant. Hey, are you crazy? I'm not talking about the mob. Uh, at the time, Imus, I'm not talking about the mob. Gambling, well, I'm not talking about anything significant anyway. Nobody <laughs> talked about the mob because they, they figured it would be a one-way trip to Palookaville. You'd go straight to hell without an asbestos suit. So I'd be talking about it every day. Because I grew up with these mobsters choking on their lobsters. And I was talking about the Gambinos, the Genovese, the Bananos, the Columbos, the Lucases. I didn't quite enter uh, into the sixth family of organized crime, the Clintons, because that was more on a national level. You know, that was part of La Cosa Nostra. But I focused on the five families, especially the Gaudis. And so Gaudi Sr., was already incarcerated. He was being in a holding cell, no bail, remanded to jail. And guess what you get as a federal prisoner on trial when you're remanded to jail on AM radio. And what do you think, John Gotti <laughs> Senior was listening to every morning, Angels in the Morning, with yours truly and my wife at that time, who hated my guts, Lisa Evers. Now, she knew nothing about the mob because she grew up in bucolic Ridgewood, New Jersey, where there's a duck pond, you know. And Jersey in the building. It, the only organized crime there is white-collar crime. She had no idea of Italian organized crime. So I'd be spewing this. One board operator quit. A phone screener quit. and say, hey, this is a death sentence. You can't be talking this stuff. You're implicating the Gottis in major crimes, including murders. So Gotti Sr. is listening to this, and he's dropping the F-bomb in his detention facility before he goes to trial every day. And he calls up his underboss. And who do you think his underboss was? It was John Gotti Jr. And he says, hey, you got to shut that guy up. You got to tool that guy up. So John Gotti Jr. said to his father, yes, boss. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he sent an international hit team of bat wielders. It was really, before there was diversity, there was John Gotti Jr. He had the Jew Kaplan. He had Ruggiero the Italian. He had McLaughlin, the Irish guy. And they hit me so many times, I lost count of how many times I got hit with those Louisville sluggers. I battled them off in the streets of the Lower East Side. Luckily, I climbed over a fence at Tompkins Square Park, which was put up by David Dinkins to stop what? The anarchists who were rioting. (laughs) If not for David Dinkins, I'd be dead today. 
And then all of a sudden they figured, hey, you learned this lesson. This guy knows if he says anything, he's going to be swimming with the anchovies out there in Jamaica Bay. Well, guess what? They brought me to Beth Israel Hospital. They put a cast on my wrist broken, my elbow broken. They said, you got a concussion. We got to observe you for 10 days. I said, my quantamai, you're not observing me for 10 minutes. I'm out of here. <laughs> Don't do this, Sliwa. You could be endangering your life. Oh, like walking out in the streets isn't endangering my life? And the very next morning, I came onto the show with Lisa, who was shaking in her 13-inch uh, combat boots. <laughs> and I told the story that my cousin Butch, who grew up in Howard Beach with these wise guys told me that at a point him being a lush he was at a gin mill called the silver fox a disco south ozone park and all of a sudden john Gotti jr rolls in with his crew and they find their target on consignment they had given a kilo of cocaine to this guy danny silver and they walk up to danny silver's dancing you know he's like uh, travolta and saturday night fever they say danny where's my money (laughs) and danny goes f you Gotti." And so Ruggiero, yeah, same guy who tooled me up with the baseball bats, gives him a shiv. And Gotti Jr. in front of about 200 people sticks this guy 46 times. He bleeds out on the floor. He's still stabbing him. Ruggiero and everyone grabs him out, throws him into a Lincoln LTD. They drive him off to the Bergen Hunt Fish and Kill Human Beings Club where his father, John Gotti (laughs) Sr. is. And they say, hey, John, we got a problem. Your son just killed somebody. John Gotti Sr. said, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to say nothing. And nobody did. But then the DTs came in from the uh, DA's office, Queen's DA's office, Santucci at the time. And they started questioning. And they found one guy who actually talked, who was the best friend of De Silva. And all of a sudden, he said, yeah, I saw what went on. It was John Gotti Jr. who killed him in front of everybody. So now he had the mark of the beast on him. Now, guess what happened to him two weeks later? He's he stopped found, breathing. No, he's, yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. He's found hanging from a tree, but his knees are touching the ground right outside of Aqueduct Racetrack in the far end of Ozone Park. A signal to everybody that snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. And it just so happens the coroner said that he committed suicide. So everybody knew then, you cannot cross the Gotti's or it's a death sentence. Well, I crossed the Gotti's. And now Gotti's senior listening to this in the morning. He's going berserk. He calls up his son. He says, you got to come. we got to have a meeting in the MCC. And he tells him, are you crazy? Sliwa implicated you in a murder. There's no statute of limitation. The feds are listening. The cops are listening. They're going to indict you. you got to whack them. And so he goes, you messed up the first time. So subcontracted to the Carrazos in Canarsie who grew up in Sliwa with Sliwa and hates his guts like I hated them. So they go to little Nick Nick Carrazzo and Jojo Carrazzo, who eventually were the leaders of the Gambino crime family when Gotti, the Gotti's basically slipped into the abyss. And Gotti Jr., who really didn't like him, said, my dad wants you to whack Sliwa. And they said, really? With pleasure. And tell your dad. Yeah, yeah, no money. We don't need no schedule for this. And they put together the plot with their hitman, Ianati. Where did he grow up? Canarsie. Then they find the driver, D'Angelo, who was from Bensoners, who had been the number one son of the rat of all rats, Sammy the Bull Gravano. And they said to D'Angelo, you got to prove your loyalty. you got to be the wheel man. So they went out and stole the yellow cab. Some Irish guy conveniently left the yellow cab out of a, outside of a triple X rated theater in Astoria. And they conveniently drove it to the chop shop, which was right beyond the right field line of Shea Stadium, which was owned and run by the son-in-law of John Gotti Sr., 
an infamous man known to be the chop shop king, and they fixed that car into a moving coffin. Because the Carrazos, having fought me growing up, said, this guy's going to fight. Just because you pull a gun out on him, you're not, he's going to fight. And so they sawed off the handles in the cab and then put them back on with crazy glue. Where'd they get the cab? They stole it from outside of the triple X-rated theater, or it was conveniently left Loaned there for them, them. Hmm. by the Irish illegal alien who was a cab driver. How did he get a hack license? Hmm. You know, we can go on and on and on, but it was a perfect plot. And they go round and round the block in the Lower East Side, and for nine straight days, they didn't get me coming out of my crib. On the 10th day, June 19th of 1992. Juneteenth. Just when they were ready to pack it up for the day, who comes out of the apartment there? Yours truly, Curtis Lee, in the red sateen jacket, red beret. So she would always follow me because back then you didn't have the internet. Your, your, your pre-show prep was based on getting the hard copy of the newspapers. So I'm in the back of the cab. I'm saying, hey, Mac, Madison Square Garden. He goes, no problem, Sliwa. I thought I hit the lotto. Because how do you, a white cab driver who spoke English, who actually knew where he was going? Back then, remember, this is the last days of David Dinkins. Every cab driver was probably tending goats outside of Amman, Jordan, three days before, didn't have a hack <laughs> license, and didn't know their way around. So I'm relieved. I'm reading the sports section, which didn't cause me agita like the current events. And we're going north towards Madison Square Garden. And halfway there, he turns right east instead of going west. And I said, hey, Mac, turn this cab around. I thought you knew where Madison Square Garden is. And he grunts. And it was like he's driving Miss Daisy. He's oblivious to me. And he puts the pedal to the metal, and I hear the tranny grinding. And back then, there were potholes everywhere, so it was like I was with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, and we were doing, you know, the, the hydraulics there, bangity, 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 bangity. And I said, hey, turn this hack around. And the next thing I know, unbeknownst to me, unbe- under the dashboard was Michael Leonardi, the hitman for the Carrazos, the Gattis. And he pops up with a 38. He's got an Irish walking cap on, a mask. And he says, take this, you son of a bitch. Bam! He shoots from my head. Hey! Now, did this have one of those partitions? No, no. Back then, uh, in the early 90s, you didn't have to have a partition. Like, half the yellow cabs did, half of them didn't. But the Corazzo specifically told, don't, don't be a headhunter. Don't shoot for his head. Because you're going to miss him. Uh, what are you talking about? I'm a headhunter. So naturally, it's like a fighter. You know, you tell him, jab, jab, jab. Then throw your right cross, your left hook. This guy, he's a headhunter, right? He goes to shoot for my head, and I duck, and it goes right through the back window. That's shot number one. But now he realizes the Carrazos were right. This guy's a little shifty. So he starts blasting away. Bang, 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 bang. And I get hit like three times in my lower extremities, and I'm bleeding out. So I figure, let me take the chance of opening up the door and diving into incoming traffic because we're already like blocks away from where they picked me up. And I go to reach for the handle, and what happens, Richie Valdez? It comes off in my hand. Bang! Shoots me right through the legs. So now I'm really bleeding out, right? Five bullets have been shot. I'm going to die. And then I realize my guardian angel radio is on the back. And it's on. And I pick it up. And I said, Angel Red, Cold Red, Angel One, Cold Red. And immediately, K.G. Oda, who's now our international director, degenerate smoker that he was, was smoking cigarettes at the Guardian Angel headquarters when he should have been outside, lucky for me. 
And he, he's like Joe Jitsu from Dick Tracy. Oh, Angel One, Angel One. And then all of a sudden, other angels are on it. And Joey D'Angelo, the driver, I think thought it was a police radio. So he's taking diversive tactics. He's driving up on the sidewalk. He goes all the way south. He's on Avenue B. He's heading towards the Williamsburg Bridge. We're hitting every pothole in sight. And all of a sudden, I feel a fresh gust of wind coming from somewhere up front. And I figure one of the windows is open. But it's got to be the window closest to the gunman because I can see the window with D'Angelo. Now I'm struggling with the gun with Iannotti. He's got the gun. He's like ready to do me in. And I'm holding on to it for dear life. And I say, I'm going to take a leap of faith. Now, this is him in the front seat, you in the back seat. And you guys are tussling right, right inside right, the car. Right, right. D'Angelo is driving. Okay, and then all of a sudden, I use the back seat like a trampoline. I push back, I jump toward the feet, the front, I go right over his head, and I go halfway out the window. The window's open. And then all of a sudden, he grabs me by the belt, and he's C-rocking me up and down, like I'm in a park, you know, and there's all of a sudden, you're going up and down on, on the seesaw. seesaw. And he's trying to pull me in, and I'm trying to press down, and he realizes there's more weight of me out than in, and he puts that gun in my back, pops the last shot, pushes me out, and he assumes that, you know, I'm going to be part of the asphalt there. And they, they're like, they're, they're jamming away. Meantime, who comes running out of the bar at, uh, at Avenue B and 6? A Hell's Angel who's in there in the gin mill. He turns me over. He goes, oh, Sleewa, don't die on us. Don't die on us. <laughs> then naturally, the meat wagon comes from Bellevue. They pop me in the body suit. They're compressing air into me with a bicycle pump. It feels like the weight of the world is on my chest. I'm screaming in the middle of the street. They put me onto a gurney. We must have hit every... Uh, Every hole imaginable in the street on the way to Bellevue. And then they're wheeling me into the ER. Luckily, Dr. Pachter and his crew are there. They're always on standby if, God forbid, a cop got shot. Had this bullet gone, I would say, approximately one inch higher, he might have been paralyzed for life. And where was Dr. Pachter from? Canarsi! He goes, gonna save you, gonna save you. And then he's cutting into me before the anesthesia even takes place. And the next thing you know, a day and a half later, I wake up in the ICU. I'd been on a ventilator. You're in a meat box. It's cold. They have a sheet over you. There's tubes in every orifice of my body keeping me alive, keeping the toxins out of my blood. And I slowly but surely wake up. And I see to my left, my nemesis, my adversary of all adversaries, the former mayor, Ed Koch. I thought I had died and gone straight to hell without an asbestos suit. He's smiling. I look to my right, it's Cardinal O'Connor. He's got the extremunction vest on, which is last rights vest. He's ready to get down and do it. And then I look behind the, the uh, a technician there, and it's my wife, Lisa. He jumped out the window to get away. He's got, he's got the scrapes and bruises on, on the side of his leg. I was probably wondering, God, I had a good life insurance policy on you. I could have collected <laughs> And I survived. I survived. I took a lick and came back ticking. Six months later, I'm back and forth into the hospital. All kinds of medical drama. And the head of detectives for the NYPD has a press conference at one police plaza and says, after an exhaustive search of all the facts regarding the shooting of Curtis Sleeve, we have determined there is no connection to the Gaudis Gambinos or any members of organized crime. In fact, it is assumed. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site. 
out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade. And Curtis may have been messing around with some bull's girlfriend, and it was his gumada. And quite possibly this was a crime of passion. Not a crime of revenge because he was talking about the Gaudis and Gambinos on the radio. <gasps> Gee, I wonder who made the head of detective say that. Did somebody get to him? Well, of course. Rudy wasn't made yet. Ah. <laughs> it was still David Dinkins. And remember, it's not a mark against David Dinkins because he came to the hospital. He was appalled. They're out to get him. He was set up. This is not the first time he's been put upon. Uh, several weeks ago, he was attacked by fellows wielding bats. But people got away with all kinds of crimes when David Dinkins was mayor. It had nothing to do with your complexion being your protection. White, black, uh, the cops did whatever the hell they wanted. And if they were in on the fix, they certainly were able to get wine dined in pocket line by members of organized crime. So for 12 years, some people thought oh, this all was about a crime of passion. Some bull wanted revenge against Sliwa because he was messing around with his Supreme Cushionette. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get a call from the FBI, forever busting Italians. We are going to be indicting John Gatti Jr., Michael Iannotti, Joey D'Angelo in your kidnapping and attempted murder. I said, how so? Uh... Mikey Scars D. Leonardo, the number three guy in the Gotti Combine, was busted on four murders. And they made him queen for a day. And he decided the only way he was going to not do triple life without parole is to give him some info. And finally, he coughed up the info on the Curtis Lee was shooting. And they asked him, well, how do you know about this? He says, because I was the one who had to plan it. I had to plan the kidnap and the shooting and the killing. And then eventually it went to trial four separate times. Gotti skated because there's a statute of limitation. Uh, and Iannotti ended up doing 20 years for the shooting. D'Angelo copped a plea, actually testified on behalf of the prosecution. So his story of what went on in the cab matched mine like bookends. So now you know most of the story there, Rich Valdez. A little bit of excitement in the life of Curtis Sliwa. And this was all the the case that was tried by Judge uh, Shira Shinlin. Well, three of the four cases were tried by Judge Shira Shinlin, friend of criminals, friend of terrorists, (laughs) appointed by Bill Clinton, and friend of John Gotti Jr. In fact, to show you how the deck was stacked against me, one morning as she was uh, assuming her position in her black regal robes on the bench, it was, uh, she was told by the uh, court clerk that it was the birthday of God, John Gotti Jr., who was dressed like a little on York, a little angel. You know, he had on a sweater, the wire rim glasses. And she said, well, before we begin the proceedings, let's sing happy birthday to John Gotti Jr. And she leads the chorus. And naturally, all of his Gavones in the peanut gallery, who had been mad-dogging me and eye-fornicating me when I gave my testimony two days on the stand, they were all singing in Italian and English. Wow. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, John Gotti Jr. I hope you don't get found guilty, too. And uh, the jury has spoken loud and clear. There was not a single allegation against John Gotti that was found proven after... Uh, years and years of bugging uh, his attorney's room in prison, of bugging uh, his visitor's room in prison. Uh, Years and years, these allegations go back for 15 years. 
that a single allegation was proven against John Gotti, and he was acquitted of some of the most serious charges here. How soon are you going to ask for bail? We've already asked for bail. The judge has indicated that she's uh, inclined to grant it. I expect to have John home within days. And the judge led the singing. So... Do you think that was a fair trial? Do you think, huh? What do you think, uh, Rich Valdez? I think Judge Shira Shinlin dropped the ball and obviously was, uh, was in on it. A friend of criminals, a friend of organized criminals, and she took a special liking. Friend of Clinton. Yes, but a special liking to John Gotti Jr. And boy, they had something going on. I mean, if you could only see the connection as she would look at him and he would look at her and i say, that's it. In fact, while I'm giving my testimony, the guy who was representing John Gotti Jr. in the first trial, in which a jury found him guilty 11-1. I'll tell you why. There was a holdout. Lickman is viciously cross-examining me. A guy who eventually became my radio partner years later. He's viciously cross-examining me. With regard to Curtis's, uh, uh, this fantasy belief that he thinks that Gotti wants him dead, I, I, I hate to say it uh, to Curtis, but anybody who saw Curtis on the stand, uh, the jury, the government prosecutors, the judge, the defense lawyers, uh, he's worth a lot more to us alive than dead. And the uh, United States attorney, objection, objection. And I look over to Judge Shira Shinley. She's playing hearts on her computer. <laughs> I'm looking at it. She was totally disconnected. Uh, basically, she had already made up her mind right. that John Gotti Jr. was innocent. But that was one of the dramatic moments. So the jury comes back 11-1 to find John Gotti Jr. guilty of my kidnap and attempted murder. And there was one holdout, a black woman from the Bronx. I think her name was Mabel, I forget, Molly, whatever. Don't put a target on her, Curtis. Uh, doesn't matter. You have a chance to meet with them if they want to meet with you, the press, and, and me or anybody afterwards. She agreed to meet with me. I said, not for nothing, you know, that uh, John Gotti Jr. tried to have me killed. Oh, I don't doubt that, Curtis. In fact, I, I raised my family just 10 blocks from where you had your first headquarters on West Fordham Road and uh, Burnside. Yeah, yeah, I know you well. Guardian Angel's good. So, well, why did you find him innocent? I don't trust anything the government says. This is not about you, Curtis. I just don't trust the U.S. <laughs> government. Oh, why wasn't this woman eliminated from consideration in the initial questioning? She slipped through, and then there were another three juries, and he skated. He skated on technicalities. The second trial, because they knew they were going, going, gone. Uh, his new attorney, uh, Carnese, the meatball, said, look, there's no doubt that John Gotti Jr. was, in fact, in charge of the Gotti crime family after his father went to jail. We're not contesting that. And he may well have ordered the hit on Curtis Sliwa. But you will see Curtis Sliwa live in this court, <laughs> breathing. <laughs> and they didn't indict John Gotti Jr. within the first five years. So there is something called a statute of limitation. It took them 12 years. And even if you feel my client is guilty... According to the edicts of the law, you must find him innocent. And do you know that that persevered through the next three trials? Wow. So they admitted, head of organized crime, didn't deny it, admitted he may well have planned my uh, kidnap and execution, but you can't touch this like MC Hammer. You didn't get me in enough time. So they conceded that the, all of it happened, but because you were there live in person, breathing in court, nada. Nada. And not, not only thing. that, but before the first trial, the United States government, which is supposed to be representing me. Remember, the U.S. government represents only themselves. They don't represent the victims. 
They joined in a pack with Jeffrey Lichtman, then representing my enemy of all enemies, John Getty uh, Jr., to put a lid on my ability to talk about the trial oh, the before, gag order. during, and afterwards. A vow of silencia. Now, where did you see that recently? But in the Roger Stone case. Oh, yeah, of course. And General was, Flynn. Right, where they were banned from talking about it. So I had to go in there and fight them, my little old self, against the U.S. government, which wanted me, basically kept quiet, as did, obviously, Lickman. And we won the case. Had we not won the case, I would not have been able to talk about it before, during, or even afterwards. Hold on, perate, perate. So that you're saying, saying so Curtis Sliwa not allowed to talk. That would have been worse than getting, getting shot, shot five another time? five times with <laughs> hollow point bullets. Hollow point bullets, I might add, they shred your insides. Unbelievable. Shred your insides. Do you imagine to put me in the cone of silence where I would be unable to speak? That would be a fate worse than death. So walk us through the final win. Oh, the final win, actually, it was no win. John Gotti Jr. ends up out in Oyster Bay Cove in Upalatia. He claims poverty all the time. Look, you would have to take a reverse mortgage just to pay, pay his property tax out there. So he got off scot-free. Michael Iannotti, the knuckle dragger, the Jadrul, never ratted out Gotti, decided he was going to do 20 years. He's somewhere in the federal system. Last time I heard North Carolina, but soon to be released. Joey D'Angelo, who became a cooperating witness and told everybody the same story that I did, he ended up doing two years in uh, federal jail. He owns a pizza parlor somewhere out in Staten Island. Uh, if I was in front of that pizza parlor, I would spit in the pizza and tell everybody not to eat it. Uh, and in fact, Michael, Michael, M Mikey Scars de Leonardo, the guy who made it all possible because he gave up Gotti and gave up D'Angelo and gave up Ianotti. He became a uh, in the witness protection program, and so then he was brought into court, and the judge absolved him of all of his sins. And the judge uh, asked me, he said, uh, is there anything you'd like to say as part of your victim impact statement about the release of Mikey Scars de Leonardo? I said, you know, Mikey, it's a good thing you did, but should you be at home in the shower doing rub-a-dub-dub and you fall and you break your neck, God's will will have been done. You should die and go straight to hell. And everybody was stunned. Wow. I said, I never forgive, and I never forget. And Boom. I walked out of that court. And you can imagine the feds were, hey, come on, Curtis. We couldn't have had a case. And then I popped to them, and I said, 1997, you had someone who was in the Gotti crime family who was a snitch. He told you what had happened. 1997, that's five years after. You could have got Cotty Jr. You decided to pass on that information because you didn't want to give up your snitch, meaning he wouldn't have been any good to you anymore. Right. And you made the decision, FBI, at that time, before it was forever busting Islamists, forever busting Italians. <laughs> you decided that I was a person of no consequence and that it was more important to get other Gambino guys then to resolve this case. So a double oofa to you. So you notice I had enemies all along. I had the Gattis, I had the Gambinos, I had Lickman, I had the Meatball Carnese, and I had the FBI forever busting Dragging Italians, and the uh, Department of Justice, and the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District.
And they all dragged their feet. Dragged their feet, and they knew in 1997 that Gotti had done the planning. They had a snitch, but they didn't want to give up this snitch. You know, come on, Rich, you know it. it had nothing about giving up this snitch. They give up snitches all the time to resolve cases. They just didn't like me. And I can't imagine why, Rich. <laughs> I'm such a lovable guy. But I hate them. I loathe them. <laughs> and I despise them all. Well, that's, that's the story. So you've heard it right here. Curtis Lewa, thanks for being with us on This Is America on this 28th anniversary of the Curtis Lewa shooting on the Lower East Side. And what's what's the next big thing we can expect from Curtis Lewa and the Guardian Angels? Well, we're in the time machine. It's back to 1979 when I started the Guardian Angels in the Bronx. You know, we're in 13 countries and 130 cities. I never thought we'd see the same set of circumstances again, you know, but history is repeating itself. Crime is skyrocketing. We see in Chicago 102 shootings, 14 murders, a 4-year-old, 13-year-old, 16, 17-year-old amongst the 14 dead in a two-day span on Father's Day weekend, and no Black Lives Matter. And people are wondering, should we bring in the National Guard? You should bring in the United States Marines! (laughs) You're out of control! And it's almost all black-on-black crime. But you know... It's not part of the agenda of Black Lives Matter, so it's going to be up to Curtis Lee and the Guardian Angels because we got boots on the ground in Chi-Town. We're on the west side. We're on the south side. We do what we always do. We protect people regardless of who they are, but especially in the poor and impoverished neighborhoods. Yeah, so we know about you getting shot five times. It's kind of like a Tupac story. Last week or a week before, we saw a flying city bike going through the air hitting you and one of your Guardian Angels. There's rumors everywhere that you're running for mayor, and there's more rumors that we're looking at a blue flu coming in a week or so. So those are the final two questions I want you to talk about are the impending blue flu, cops walking out on the job, especially in light of what we saw yesterday with uh, guys effectuating an arrest on the boardwalk in Queens, and people screaming, get off his neck, get off his neck, but the guy's fine, he was able to spit and throw beer or whatever it was he did at the cop, and uh, what your aspirations are politically. Uh, number one, the cops are already involved in a blue flu. They're not, re- they're not responding to certain 311 calls, 911 calls. That's already in effect. But they have said on the night of July 4th, when it will sound like uh, Francis Scott Keyes, when he came up with the Star Spangled Banner, as the Brits were bombing Fort McHenry in Baltimore Harbor, uh, they will not be coming to work that day. It'll be the blue flu. And I believe it to be true because they are getting blamed for everything in the city. Everything. Secondly, yeah, I am running for the mayoralty because everybody else is up in the suites. You got Eric Adams. You got Corey Johnson. You got Scott Stringer. Oh, defund the police. Let me tell everybody, everything is getting defunded. Every, every program, anything the city is attached to, there's no money so is anybody telling you that? Is anybody being square with everybody and say, yeah, we're going to have to defund the police? Guess why? Because there's no money. But there won't be money for social services. There won't be money for fire, uh, teaching, the whole nine yards, homeless services, because there's no money. We're $14 billion in debt, and that's growing. We can't print money like the feds can. So guess what? Chapter 11, bankruptcy, here we come. Gee, that's where we were in 1976. That's what motivated me to start the Guardian Angels because they had to take all the cops off the subways at night. 
That's how this movement began. So what comes around goes around. The mistakes of history are being repeated again. And only when there's pain compliance, only when people are feeling enough pain will they woke up (laughs) and realize that the cops are not the enemy. Well, Curtis Lieber, thank you for your service to the city. Thank you for everything you do. Uh, Richie, may I say one last thing? Absolutely. You got a better version of the Curtis Lewis shooting than my Kumbadichich Rudy Giuliani. He thought he got the best slice in the pie. You not only got the best slice, you got extra cheese with extra anchovies. There you go. And that's because you're a Latino. And let me tell you something. Brown people... Why do you always get marginalized? Why is it everybody uses brown people, Republicans, Democrats? Yeah, we love the Latinos, but all of a sudden, even Black Lives Matter. No, it's not Brown Lives Matter. That's right. It's Black Lives Matter. Hmm. I wonder, does that cover the Cheeches uh, and the Zips, the Sicilianos? Because we always <laughs> thought, you know, when Hannibal came through, that there was mixed blood. Nah, somehow it felt. Hey, come on, brown people. Listen, I tell everybody, Latinos are not for sale. And the next podcast, we're going to be talking about how and why they're going to be so instrumental to this 2020 election. But until then, keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez, and you're listening to Curtis Lewa on This Is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.